New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. Hello, I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Today I'm hosting Dr. Robert Fuller. He's the author of Religion and Science of Beautiful Friendship? and the novel The Rowan Tree, as well as many other books about rankism and dignity and the dignitarian movement, including Dignity for All, How to Create a World Without Rankism, and the book Somebodies and Nobodies, Overcoming the Abuse of Rank. Bob, welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Thank you, Justine. Bob, in your novel, The Rowan Tree, you really go through some different phases of your own life. I know it's not totally reflective of your own life, but you at one time were president of Oberlin College, and the main person in in Rowan Tree was also president of college. And I know when you were at Oberlin, there was tremendous change going on in the world, and especially on college campuses. There was a civil rights movement, the women's movement. There was uh, the Vietnam War protests. It goes on and on. Even co-ed dorms, I think, were just starting to come in. So that was a time in, was that the 60s? Late 60s, and the 60s, as everyone knows, extended about three years into the 70s. Yes, yes. Now, here we are, 2013. Can you say something about the times that we're living in? I, I think the 60s are when it got started, When identity politics really took off, obviously they were seeded earlier in the humiliations endured by black Americans and in the uh, discrimination against women and gays and people with disabilities. And all those isms were tackled in the 60s and 70s, and we put a big dent in all of them. We didn't get rid of them completely, but we sure switched them from routine and from the social consensus to being in the doghouse. All those isms lost their legitimacy. That doesn't mean they were eliminated, but you were on the defensive if you were defending them. You were fighting a growing consensus that those forms of indignity had no place in American life. Well, flash forward 40, 50 years and we're in the second decade of the 21st century now. And if you want to be a racist or a sexist or a homophobe, you can be, but you'll probably lose your job in about 15 minutes if you try it. However, there's one huge ism we haven't taken on yet. For example, when I give talks about this out across the country, After I'm done, two groups always come forward, blacks in the audience and women in the audience, and they say, you know, this is all very nice about how whites aren't openly antagonistic to me any longer, the blacks will say, or women will say, men are on good behavior around me nowadays, but then they'll say, but you know what my problem is? My problem is other women. My problem is other blacks. There's still 
indignity that goes on within the races, within the genders, within the sexual orientations, among people with disabilities. So there's an ism we haven't had a name for, and I've been trying to give it one. I call it rankism. And it's what one person who feels superior to another person can do, can, feels he can get away with, feels it's legitimate. Whereas a white would never dare treat a black with open indignity and scorn, and in other words, be racist. A white is perfectly happy to do the very same behavior to another white, just so long as it's of the same gender. Because we've ruled out that kind of indignifying or humiliating behavior from one race to another, from one gender to another. But we haven't ruled it out within the race, within the gender. That's where having a word like rankism is helpful, because women and blacks who come up after talks will say, and now I have a word for what's still bothering me. What's still bothering me is the fact that I'm treated like a nobody at work. What's still bothering me is that I'm treated like a a nobody at home by my spouse, or in other walks of life. And so rankism is that willingness to assume superiority over other people and put them down when they're of low rank and you feel you can get away with it. You know, Bob, in your whole trajectory of your life, you've had the privilege of being a somebody, Mm -hmm. president of college and other titles that you've held and ranks that you have held. And then you've also been a nobody where you were no longer president of college and people wouldn't return your calls because you, right. you, you know, it was Bob Fuller, nobody. No. Yeah. So you've really experienced both sides of that coin. So can you say right. something? You know, about- I think everyone experiences both sides of that coin, but it was very dramatic when I left a, a job that had the title president and had no title whatsoever. And right, people didn't return my calls or they said, uh, let's have lunch next time you're in town, not now. So yes, there was a dramatic drop-off, such a big drop-off in status that I really noticed it and was hurt by it temporarily. But you know, I understand it well enough. But I think that anyone who suffers a loss of their health or the loss of a spouse or the loss of Uh, a job, can feel suddenly like a nobody. And that's because our society still tolerates and condones rankism. We don't need to always do that. We could disallow rankism as we've disallowed the other isms. And I think it's the great task of the present generation to disallow rankism. And I notice that young people are really much less rankist than my generation. Mm -hmm. They're conscious of each other's dignity, and they take pains not to hurt each other's feelings more than my generation. No, it's not that bullying has disappeared. It hasn't. But it's now not taken for granted anymore. And it's talked about. It's talked about. It's It's it's, on its way into the doghouse, mm -hmm. which is where it belongs. Mm-hmm. with the other isms. You have something that you mentioned in the book. I don't think it's actually a bumper sticker, but the idea of a bumper sticker where you say humiliation is more dangerous than plutonium. Say something about that, if you would, please. Well, it's that when we humiliate a person or a country, they hate it, and they will look for a chance to get even, even if it takes them 50 years. They're going to get even for that slight, that 
indignity that you caused them. So one of the best ways to make your defense strong is not to commit an offense in the first place. You know, that's a very important part of a good, strong defense is not to commit offenses. Because if you do, and you seem to have gotten away with it, you won't really have gotten away with it. Because that humiliation will fester. And it will finally take the form of a plutonium bomb or some other form of terrorism or aggression. The Second World War was clearly now, everyone agrees, was largely caused by the humiliation the Germans suffered uh, after the First World War. The reparations and the general national humiliation opened them up to the idea of a dictator who promised to restore their pride. So humiliation is more dangerous than plutonium. Right, definitely in that case. And now we can look back and see that. Yeah. Are, are we correcting that mistake? Do you yeah. see ways that we're correcting that? Well, the aftermath of World War II was a great correction of that mistake. We treated our defeated enemies with dignity to a much larger degree than ever had been done before in wartime after a war. Like the establishment of the Marshall Plan yeah, was one. that was one example. And we also made allies out of our previous enemies. Germany and Japan and Italy all became allies. So I'm not saying the uh, occupations were perfect and were free from indignity, but they were far better than had ever been done before because something was learned about the dangers of humiliating a defeated foe. The same thing is true in an office. The same thing is true in a university. If you humiliate a student as a professor, or you humiliate another student for that matter, that person will not forget it, and they will want to get even, and you will have created a potential enemy, whereas you could have had an ally. So we're getting alert to the dangers of rankism. And interestingly, you cannot cure rankism with more rankism. If someone puts you down, you don't actually reduce the amount of rankism in the world by finding a way to put them down. You have to find a way to protect their dignity while you let them know that you don't want them to keep doing it to you. And that's very hard to do. It can take weeks of thought to figure out a response to someone who has indignified you. But if you work at it, this is an assumption, a hypothesis, but there is always a way to inform someone that they're attacking your dignity that doesn't attack theirs. And if you take that as an assumption, you can keep looking until you find that way of doing it. That kind of reminds me of that uh, martial arts Aikido in yeah, some way. Yeah, it is like that. It's a verbal counterpart of that process. Or you could say it's turn the other cheek. But turn the other cheek is risky because you have to get slapped in the second cheek, you right, know. Right, you, you have to find a way to establish your strength and to do it in a gracious way that doesn't just keep the cycle of reciprocal indignities flowing. Well, a good example of this would be the Truth and Reconciliation Committees in South Africa. Can Perfect you example. That was the great discovery of Mandela and Bishop Tutu. Those Truth and Reconciliation Commissions, we're going to need a lot more of those to help us overcome past indignities that are already on the books and that either they're going to be eventually translated into 
a reciprocal indignity, or we're going to have to do a truth and reconciliation process on them in which the truth is told and forgiveness becomes possible because there's a guarantee that will never happen again. Yeah, you can't go back and change what has happened. No, but you can admit to it and ask for forgiveness. And usually the aggrieved party will accept that if they're really sure this is the end of it. Because they know in their bones that if they just get even, the feud will continue. Now, I'm thinking about African nations that have had the indignity of being colonized in centuries past. And it disrupted a natural unfolding of culture. And now we can feel like Rwanda or Darfur or different places in Africa that just are so disrupted in their whole culture and and genocides are happening. And can you say anything about how we can work with that and be truly helpful? Well, providing a Truth and Reconciliation Commission is the best medicine for that that anyone's come up with to date. And I think it will heal the malady, heal the injury. Or there are things like The Hague and the the trials at The Hague where people are held accountable across national boundaries. These are all new developments, and they augur well for the 21st century. I think by the end of the century, they'll be routine, and there will be far less need for them. There won't be such atrocities and genocides and wars and humiliations because we will have gradually learned that they never pay. See, it's confusing because they used to pay. It used to pay to be a predator. A thousand years ago, 10,000 years ago, predation worked. That's why people did it. But it stopped working somewhere in the mid-20th century, and Japan and Germany were the last two countries to really try big-scale predation. It backfired. Prior to that, the French and the British and others established colonies and succeeded with predation, made their countries very rich by ripping off the countries they colonized. But now it's not working well anymore. And the reason it's not working is because everybody knows everything that's going on on the planet because of communications. And it's also not working because it's become possible for the nobodies to marshal enormous power in the form of bombs not just plutonium bombs. There haven't been any of those yet, thank goodness. But there will be unless we eliminate the provocations or there'll be weapons of mass destruction used one way or another or even more dangerous than weapons of mass destruction are weapons of mass disruption on the internet, cyber warfare, or people in the streets as in Egypt and the Arab Spring lately disruption, civil disobedience has become a tool of political rebellion that's as strong or stronger than violence. So for all these reasons, somebody's putting down nobodies and exploiting them is not working anymore. We're on the cusp of leaving predation behind and moving to a world of equal dignity for all where that is the sacred principle and governs every interaction from the interpersonal to the international level. And then we will have outmoded war. War is not a permanent fixture. In fact, the number of wars is in rapid decline. We're going to live in this century to see it become obsolete, like cannibalism. May it be so. Bob, I want to thank you so much for being part of the New Dimensions Cafe today. Thank you, Justine. 
I've been speaking with Dr. Robert Fuller. He's the author of Religion and Science, A Beautiful Friendship, and also the novel The Rowan Tree. And both are available as ebooks on Amazon. And if you'd like to know more about his work, you can go to his website, robertworksfuller.com. And works is spelled W-O-R-K-S, robertworksfuller.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Thank you so much for joining us at the New Dimensions Cafe. And I invite you to please join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.